As Russian forces unleash their assault on Kiev and other Ukrainian cities, we are resolved to continue imposing massive costs on Russia. The last two weeks have witnessed the most robust, onerous, powerful set of sanctions uh, I, for one, have ever seen. With more than 5,500 actions against it, they dwarfed those imposed on Iran, North Korea and Syria. These sanctions put increased pressure on Russia's leadership, including on Putin's inner circle. To ensure there are severe costs to Russia's aggression. Defending freedom is going to cost. It's going to cost us as well. Russia is being hit with trillions of dollars in sanctions. New Zealand has joined with historic new laws. The international community has condemned Russia's actions and Aotearoa has been clear that we stand with Ukraine. As soon as Mr Putin brought out the nuclear card and made a suggestion that he may not hesitate to use that sort of weaponry, that put the whole world on notice. The sanctions are hitting everyone from oligarchs to ordinary Russians. But will they work? Well, some say they just couldn't care less about international brands disappearing from the market. The era of post-Soviet colonisation by the West started with the uh, arriving of McDonald's to Russia. And the era of sovereign greater Russia starts with McDonald's leaving it. So have a nice trip. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, what the sanctions mean for Kiwi exporters and investors, and the message to get out now, if you can. But how? Well, today I'm talking to lawyer Sarah Salmond, who's working on it. She's a partner at Minter Allison and a specialist on sanctions. I'm pretty confident there has never been a large economy, a G20 economy, subject to such far-reaching extensive sanctions imposed by so many different governments. This is really quite unprecedented, and certainly it's a first for New Zealand. The complexity and I guess the speed with which we've changed the regime in New Zealand or which we're changing it just means that businesses have so much to come up to speed on in such a short period of time. Can I just start off with something really basic what exactly is a sanction? So sanctions are prohibitions and restrictions that are imposed by a government, so like the New Zealand government, and they target foreign countries, political groups, entities or individuals, and they target them because there's an issue um, of international concern which you know people are trying to address. So generally your, your sanctions have two objectives. You want to punish bad behaviour and you're wanting to incentivise the targets of those sanctions to change their policies or to change their actions that are of concern to you. This new New Zealand legislation... The Russia sanctions bill. Yeah, I'm really interested in, in how that came about. So in New Zealand, under the old legal framework, the only circumstances in which New Zealand was able to impose sanctions as if the United Nations Security Council had passed a resolution telling all United Nations members to impose sanctions. And the problem with Russia's invasion of Ukraine is that Russia holds the power of veto at the United Nations. So unsurprisingly, when a resolution was proposed to impose sanctions on Russia in response to this invasion, Russia vetoed it. Imagine having a fire brigade 
who had all of the fire engines and all of the water, but one member of the brigade could prevent the engine from going to the fire. And that is the situation we have with the UN Security Council and the veto. It is a ridiculous situation. So there will never be any UN sanctions targeting Russia. And the New Zealand government was then a bit hamstrung. There was not much it could do to respond. So there was stern words. There was some export controls imposed, some travel bans and, and things like that. But New Zealand really wasn't able to do much in response. And I think the government was under a lot of pressure, both internationally and domestically, to do more. And the only way they could do more from a legal point of view was to pass a piece of legislation giving the government powers to impose sanctions. So... This is the very first time the New Zealand government has been able to impose sanctions in the absence of a UN Security Council resolution. It took just five hours for the Russia sanctions bill to go through. So it's has pretty historic legislation. Yeah, it's going to lead to the most comprehensive sanctions New Zealand will probably ever have imposed on any country. We will be able to stop or restrict people or companies from travelling to or from New Zealand or staying here if they're already here moving assets to New Zealand or using assets already here, providing or using services like banks, loans, legal services. If normally they would go through the UN Security Council, do other countries have different legislation? I mean, what has enabled other countries to act much quicker? So a lot of Western governments have had what's called autonomous sanctions legislation for a long time which means if they want to go further than the United Nations or if they want to target with sanctions a country that the UN, for whatever reason, will never target, they've got this autonomous sanctions toolbox, and we didn't. So we were quite an outlier, so we were relatively late to the game. Why has the government dragged its heels on this? So the previous national government twice attempted to get autonomous sanctions legislation through the House. And what the um, Labour New Zealand First Coalition said and what Labour more recently said was that, look, we don't actually think, we're aware of circumstances where we've really needed to impose autonomous sanctions. We usually feel that the UN system delivers and we don't need this power. And the decision in relation to Russia, is that this is a particularly egregious situation and this is a situation to which we need to respond. So one of the things I think is a little unfair, really, is there's been a lot of criticism of how slow the government has been to respond. If there was ever a time to use urgency, uh, then passing autonomous sanctions legislation, that's the time to use urgency right now. And in fact, really, if you think that Russia's invasion occurred on the 28th of February, the fact that we have a piece of legislation that's been prepared and pushed through all stages of the parliamentary process and is now in effect on the 10th of March, that's actually pretty speedy. Mm. So I think they've been faster than many people would give them credit for. And there are tranches of it. But we have a first tranche of uh, oligarchs who are clearly identified and known around the world. They will go on the path that some people will want to go down, which is to name every wealthy Russian individual and then say they must be on the sanctions list without going through a threshold of tests that the bill provides for would be the wrong way. So what does the first tranche look like? So the first tranche of sanctions is, is going to be an extension of the travel bans that are already in place. So I think back on the 24th of February, uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs imposed travel bans on 80 to 100 people. So those are going to be extended. 
there's going to be some targeted asset freezes required, which means that banks and financial institutions holding assets for certain people that are deemed to be um, involved in Russia's invasion of Ukraine, they'll be obliged to freeze their assets and soon we'll be told, okay, freeze them, and and then what do you do with them? So there'll be instructions on what you do when you freeze, and there will be some sanctions imposed specifically on Russian banks, which will effectively mean that New Zealand banks will not be able to get payments to anyone in Russia via what's likely to be quite a long list of Russian banks. Would we be doing much business with Russian banks? More than people think. So what was certainly in the headlines a couple of weeks ago is that we do have, you know, a relatively healthy trade or export um, business selling agricultural products to Russia. So we we send them butter, we send them apples, we send them some meat, we send them some fish, largely primary agricultural products. We also traditionally have imported a lot of fuel and fertiliser from Russia. But those companies in New Zealand are not necessarily going to be the ones struggling most to comply with this act because it's actually relatively easy in some respects to to just move your product elsewhere, sell it to someone else instead. Um, It's a bit more difficult if you've got a long-term contractual relationship in Russia, but you can offer the VERT products. But what we are finding and what we're hearing from clients increasingly over the last couple of weeks is a lot of New Zealand financial institutions have investments in Russia. So, for example, you know, when you have a pension fund or KiwiSaver or just a general portfolio of investments the bank holds. The Super Fund, ACC, the Government Superannuation Fund and the National Providence Fund are divesting in line with the international response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A lot of them are actually, you know, in Russian securities or bonds or equities. So a lot of our financial institutions have some exposure to the Russian market. So certainly more companies are impacted by this law change than I think initial media reports would have suggested. What does that mean? Because, so say if if you're a financial institution and and you've got investments in Russian bonds or in the currency, well, you wouldn't wouldn't want to be getting out of that now because because the currency is absolutely tanked and so are the stocks. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult position to be in. So you will have seen a week or so ago, we saw a wave of New Zealand-based financial institutions announcing their withdrawal from the Russian market. Um, and, and many of them will have been able to withdraw, but they probably, as you said, made a significant loss because no Western business wants Russian investments at the moment. It's very hard to find a buyer for those investments. But to further complicate things, Um, A week or so ago, President Putin published a couple of Russian presidential decrees, and those decrees create all sorts of restrictions on sending things outside of Russia. And the reason he's doing that is he's trying to keep strategic goods and services and, and foreign exchange in the country. So now, even if you could find a buyer... Uh, and sell your investments, you still will struggle to get money out of the country. So I think anyone who hasn't managed to get an investment out of the country now is probably going to struggle to do so uh, for the foreseeable future. Can I, I don't know how much you can tell me about how you're actually helping your clients, but it sounds awfully complicated. So what you're advising them, but how, how do you even get the information that you use to advise your clients? 
Well, the first step is working out which sanction laws our clients are actually bound by. Because a lot of New Zealand businesses, they're wholly owned New Zealand companies or they're directors of New Zealanders. They trade in New Zealand dollars. They sell New Zealand originating product. Generally speaking, those companies are only subject to New Zealand law. And then we go and look at the provisions of New Zealand law and, and based on our understanding of the kind of business that our client is involved in. So, you know, if you're selling um, apples up to, to Russia, you know, it's quite easy for us to work out, okay, are there any restrictions in New Zealand law to prohibit that and that might complicate you getting paid? Where things get more difficult is when we have a, a New Zealand client that's actually owned by an American parent or an Australian parent. And actually a lot of the trade maybe that that client does is uh, going via the US or denominated in US dollars or is actually like a finished product that contains a lot of US content. Because as soon as you have all those links to the US, the US sanctions regime also applies to that transaction. And so all of a sudden, you've got multiple different countries' laws that are going to regulate your trade. And what we're seeing is more and more countries introduce their own sanctions. They all overlap and create what is becoming an increasingly complex web of legal obligations that our clients have to comply with. So we are working out what laws apply to you, look at all the laws, what restrictions apply to you, can you keep doing business, and if you can't keep doing business, how can we get you out of that business? So say if a New Zealand company was sending apples to Russia and it, the apples were on order so they're not going to Russia now we'll find another buyer say yeah. you know Korea or China or whatever mm-hmm. is it as simple as that yeah so for, it, it, it take that case of apples there's no prohibition on sending apples from New Zealand so you know you could happily put them on a boat and cross your fingers the issue you're going to find, though, is a lot of the, the um, sea freight carriers, so Maersk and others, are now refusing to handle any new contracts involving Russia. Uh, DHL, for example, is no longer going to handle trade documentation relating to Russian business. So you're going to really struggle actually physically getting your product to Russia. So even if you could get it into Russia, then you've got the issue of how do you get paid? And the real problem comes when you're normally paid in US dollars. And the problem we have now is the Americans have sanctioned almost all of Russia's major banks, and they've cut those banks off from the SWIFT international payment messaging system. SWIFT is the world's dominant global interbank payment system. Cutting banks off will stop them from conducting most of their financial transactions worldwide and effectively block Russian exports and imports. And the practical effect of all of this is it is very, very difficult, essentially impossible as a New Zealand business to get payment in US dollars at the moment. That's why a lot of corporates, if they can, they're simply redirecting their apples or other products elsewhere. What if, say, your case of apples is is halfway there now? Yeah. Because yeah. it, would that be the case for some some exports? Yep, absolutely. What a lot of the announcements that have come out of the, the um, freight carriers have been um, recently that they would not accept new orders. New, you know, so so if you put your freight on uh, a boat tomorrow, I mean, they were not going to accept that for stuff that's already on the water. I mean, obviously that journey's already begun, but they're encountering 
operational problems, delays, and increasingly private companies, whether legally obliged to or not, are just pulling out of the market. Three major global brands are suspending operations in Russia. Starbucks has announced it will suspend all business activity in the country. McDonald's is temporarily shutting its restaurants, and that follows a move by Unilever to stop imports and exports. So even if legally you're still allowed to get product to market, it's increasingly difficult to actually get it there because people are just pulling out left, right and centre. The United States... Department of Justice is assembling a dedicated task force to go after the crimes of the Russian oligarchs, to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments, their private jets. We're coming for you, ill-begotten gains. The most far-reaching sanctions um, that affect companies all over the Western world are the American ones. So we always have to keep an eye on whether the American sanctions are relevant to us The EU and the UK probably come in second place in terms of the comprehensiveness and complexity of the sanctions they impose. Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich, aluminium tycoon Oleg Deripaska, energy boss and old Putin friend Igor Sechin. UK assets frozen, they can't travel here, their yachts can be seized and their ability to move money around the world severely restricted. Australia is is a relative newbie to autonomous sanctions and they largely follow and inspired by the regimes of the the US, the UK and the EU. Uh, These sanctions will significantly expand the scope of persons and I stress entities uh, that Australia can list uh, for targeted financial sanctions and travel bans. New Zealand's new to this and we've only got the power to do something about Russia. Australia can do something about anything it likes. So our regime is going to be a lot more tightly contained but I imagine that the New Zealand restrictions that we impose on business with Russia are going to look quite similar to the Australian restrictions. And I think that's necessary because of how intertwined our economies are. If we end up with very different restrictions to the Australians, we're going to put New Zealanders in a very difficult position. What is the desired effect of sanctions? I mean, I know that ultimately countries want want Russia to stop the war. But what's the aim of imposing sanctions? Yeah, it's a great question. So what the West is trying to do is force Russia to take a different line in Ukraine. So they're trying to apply pressure both to the President Putin's regime by preventing him getting hold of weapons, of equipment necessary for the war, of critical funding for the war, cripples the country's ability to finance this war, which is exactly what the Europeans and the Americans want to do. But they're also trying to impose pressure, huge pressure, on the Russian economy, on Russian businesses, on Russian oligarchs, and also, unfortunately, on on ordinary Russian citizens in the hope if everyone in Russia feels that pressure, they will turn on the Putin regime and call for an end to this war. And I think... What would be the options? I mean, you could either do nothing in in Russia, and in that case, I mean, you would have to assume that President Putin may then want to invade all the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. Um, There's also other governments that are watching very carefully, and I think if they saw Russia swoop in and take over a number of otherwise sovereign nations, they might do the same thing. So the West can't turn a blind eye. The other extreme is that they put troops on the ground. But I think as soon as you put troops on the ground in Ukraine, 
we're in World War Three, and we're in World War Three involving uh, two of the most heavily armed nuclear powers on opposing sides. What's everyday life like with these sanctions? What we're hearing is that uh, the, the media narrative in Russia is completely different to the one that we hear. So uh, much of the media has now been excluded from Russia. Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, etc., aren't working. So professionals that we would normally be able to readily contact via those platforms, we're not hearing from them. Um, and, and the Russian government is very much controlling the messaging. There's no question that the Russian state media campaign is in full force. The propaganda campaign is in full force. But I think there is a healthy proportion of people in Russia who actually think their government is involved in a special operation to save persecuted Russian minorities living in Ukraine. But um, in a way, actions speak louder than words. So even if they're getting those mixed messages in their media, surely the fact that McDonald's is gone, LinkedIn is gone, Facebook is gone. That's all gone. And instead, Russia's increasingly isolated. Products they like to buy have gone. Surely there will be recognition at a certain point that maybe their government is not telling them the truth. The next step, I understand, is oil and gas. And yeah. that would, would that be the thing that truly cuts off Russia, that that's when it yeah. brings it to total isolation? Yeah, that's right. So the Russian economy is very heavily dependent on oil and gas. But a lot of Western governments are heavily dependent on Russian oil and gas. We have to see what happens. But I think everything now is up for grabs in that sense. No dogmas. We have to become less dependent on Russia and gas oil as soon as possible. But not tomorrow. That's not possible. So it is a very, very big call um, in recent days from the US government first, then the UK government to ban Russian oil and gas. The, the biggest users, though, of uh, Russian gas are the Germans. And the Germans have taken a very tough stance on Russia, but I don't think, as last I checked, that they'd ban Russian gas. But that would have serious implications for their people. Uh, but if you did find, you know, a blanket Western prohibition on imports of Russian oil and gas, that would really hurt Russia. It's not going to be quickly over, though, is, is it? Even though these sanctions are so widespread... Russia's not going to pull out next week because we've stopped shipping stuff there or, or shut down the banking system or whatever. I think we have to be realistic in what New Zealand sanctions alone will achieve. Realistically, New Zealand sanctions are going to be relatively sim symbolic. There's only so much we can do. But it's the combined effect of Western government sanctions on Russia um, that will have a material impact. Um, you know, you're seeing McDonald's and Facebook and Google and the shipping lines all put out of Russia. I think if I was Russian, I'd be quite upset about losing basically all Western aspects of my culture. So that is going to make people angry. I think what is going to make a really big difference, though, is if it's not just Western governments putting pressure on Russia, but all governments on which they rely. And I think the key thing that we haven't seen yet is full commitment from China. 
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Sarah Salmond. Kakite anō.